I'm kind of proud to say we were able to impact about 250 of those businesses, which, you know, you got to take this in baby steps. Hello, you are listening to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. The Director of General Services for the City of Cortez, Colorado, Rick Smith, joins Chris this week to dig into the story of the community's fiber network. Rick explains how the community incrementally expanded that asset to what is now an open access network. They faced a few challenges, but designed their business model to fit the community. As a result, their network has flourished. Here are Rick and Chris. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with the Director of General Services for the City of Cortez in Colorado, Rick Smith. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Rick, you and I have been talking for a number of years off and on. You've been doing some really interesting work down there with fiber optics, both uh, in your community and within the, the larger region. Uh, can, and actually, I should say that as well, I've been through Cortez. My wife and I came through right after a bunch of snow fell. It was beautiful. And uh, down there in the uh, the southwest uh, corner of Colorado. So why don't you describe the community a little bit for people who haven't had the privilege of being there? Well, a lot of your uh, listeners will be aware of Mesa Verde National Park. We're about 16 miles away from that. Um, we consider ourselves kind of a gateway to Mesa Verde. We're, as you said, in the extreme southwest portion of Colorado. We're about 20 miles from the four corners where you can step on all four states at one time. Cortez itself is a small community. We have about 8,300 people. Uh, quite a few in the county area, uh, which is Montezuma County, but Cortez is the largest city in the county. So we're about 45 miles from Durango. A lot of people know about Durango. So it's a it's a fairly rural area with uh, the population being fairly well spread out, except for some of the, the communities that, that you just mentioned, right? Correct. So in this area, you haven't had the, the best connectivity. Back in 1999, uh, we were trying to get a, a T1 uh, out of here to Denver, and uh, the pipe was full. Uh, the incumbent at that time uh, served southwest Colorado, a five-county region, with just two microwave links out of here. So we had them come down, and, of course, we got the textbook answer of uh, can't make a business case, too rural. At that time, city council decided to take destiny in their own hands, and we started exploring ways of bringing telecommunications in without the help. It was a collaborative effort between Southwest Colorado and Northwest New Mexico, and that was the beginning of the fiber going on the overhead power lines, and it actually hooked up Grand Junction, Colorado, down to Albuquerque. Everybody rides that same pipe out of here now, including the incumbent. So that improved our uh, pipeline. But it still didn't solve the problem internally inside the city. So we did a study, um, and we first connected up the municipal buildings. Can I ask what the what the time frame was of when you started connecting the internal buildings? We started connecting the internal buildings in about 2002. And we, of course, deployed different services such as VoIP. Uh, that came along in 2005. We approached um, 
the Department of Local Affairs for the state of Colorado and received a grant. And from that grant, we were able to connect up the county buildings, the hospital, and uh, the school districts. And that happened in about 2005. So that was the beginning of what we call our government network in town. And nothing really took off until we were able to make that connectivity out of town. I mean, it was great to be on fiber, but it didn't really mean much. And we we put in a OC3 facility from the incumbent, and that that's when things really started taking off. Then you were actually um, started working on solving your problem with the long haul getting out of town. And before that was solved, you'd started connecting some of the local buildings, and you couldn't really take advantage of those local connections until after you solved that, that long haul problem with the connection between Santa Fe and Grand Junction. Is that right? That's correct. We uh, built the, the local network but had nothing nowhere to go. So when we got the long haul built and we were able to make that connection, then things started to take off because then people saw the value in it. Uh, it was expensive, but we ran the government network kind of like a co-op. We just kind of took all the cost and divided it up by a number of members, and off we went. So we had all the schools, the hospital, uh, fire department, city buildings, county buildings already connected. So we had the aggregation already. In 2010, by having fiber in town, businessmen, people were asking to get on the network. And prior to 2005, which is, this is an important thing in Colorado, we were already serving just a few uh, businesses on that network. Uh, We had an independent phone company that was we were handing off signal to, and they were taking care of the private business. The reason I say that's real important is because in 2005, the state of Colorado passed the, that crazy law called Senate Bill 152, which prohibited governments from providing service. Right. It was some, some people call it the Quest Law because uh, the predecessor to CenturyLink, Quest Communications, was the one that pushed that through for its own interests. Correct. In the case of the city of Cortez, we were very fortunate in the fact that we were considered grandfathered under that law because we were already doing services. So we decided, okay, what can we do for economic development that we can enhance Cortez? And one of the obvious questions was, well, let's, let's deploy fiber to the business. So in 2010, we got a planning grant, which included um, doing the business case, uh, doing surveys, and that was from the state? Yes, that was from the state, from the Department of Local Affairs. You know, gee, we really need to do this. I know some of your listeners know uh, Dr. Andrew Cohill. One of the first things we did when we we did that, we brought him in and we invited people like the government, people that are already on the network, how they could use it, bankers, county commissioners, city council members, prominent business people around town, and what Dr. Cohill did was, was kind of expand on the benefits of open access and uh, why this is so important. So the, I think that was one of our key things that we did. So that's what you were doing at the, at the local level in terms of trying to build this open access network to spur economic development. But I also, I also know that you were being active at a more regional level with nearby counties. Can you tell us what was happening there? Colorado's divided up in economic development regions, and we're considered uh, Region 9, which is a five-county area. And some of the other towns were, geez, look what Cortez is doing, and 
why can't we do some of that? Well, of course, Senate Bill 152 blocks a lot of communities from even knowing how to proceed. We thought, why can't we take this model of the government network at a minimum and expand it region-wide? We approached, again, the Department of Local Affairs and, and got another planning grant for a regional effort. And I might say that this has become kind of a model for the Department of Local Affairs to have the other regional approaches to rural broadband. DOLA is real proactive in planning grants for this. So right now they're kind of looking at Region 9 as the poster child for implementing a regional effort. Would other regions need to have an anchor such as yourself that is either grandfathered or, or someone that's passed the referendum to restore their local authority? Well, in Colorado today, you kind of have a mixture of all things. Some regions aren't doing much. Uh, some regions are, uh, like in Mart Roads, have passed uh, a ruling against to allow them to do services and exempt Senate Bill 152. So it's kind of all over the place. But they have created regional technology planning groups, and they're taking our playbook, so to speak, and kind of moving it around the state as we did another study, and in that study was identifying, of course, the community anchor institutions in each community. We also invited early on, right at the start, the local um, telecom providers because we rec- recognize that there's no way Region 9, being a rural area of the state, could afford to overbuild everything. So our grant mostly focused on collaboration and building a network within each community and then leveraging the infrastructure that was already in place between the communities to build out the middle mile. Long story short, we got the grant, we submitted it to DOLA, and we were successful in getting a a regional grant for $3 million from the state, which we had to match regionally with a million dollars. So we had basically a $4 million project. And as you can see, you couldn't build much middle mile with $4 million. So from there, we started digging down into the details, and each community came up with a design for their internal city. We just completed that grant and. uh, I'd have to say region-wide, it's been pretty successful. Now, to speak to Cortez specifically, since we had the business model, business case already done, we had the city already designed for fiber to the home, we we got a million dollars out of that $4 million pot. And with that, our plan was to begin what we call phase one, uh, the fiber to the business project. And when was that? That was in 2011 we started construction. Okay. We what, So then what we did, we took our, our roadmap design, field engineered it, and we broke the city business district into chunks we thought would fit with the million dollars because obviously a million dollars wasn't going to cover all of the business districts. We um, contacted the uh, Chamber of Commerce and we we understood that there's about 650 businesses in Cortez. When we did our bid process, we, we just kind of broke it out in chunks so that we could make the project fit the money. I'm kind of proud to say we were able to impact about 250 of those businesses, which, you know, 
you got to take this in baby steps. Absolutely. Out of that 250, today we have um, sold about 172 drops, fiber drops we call it, which means fiber to each building, fiber building and business. And we're, we're enjoying a take rate that's right at the national norm of about 40%. So does that mean that of the the companies that paid for drops, that not all of them decided to take service? Correct. What was the cost of the drop? We priced the fiber drops very affordable to the business family because after all, we're going down an alley and we want to maximize the drop construction as we're going down that alley because we don't want to have to come back. Yes. And the, and the alleys are uh, all paved. And, and uh, by the way, our whole network is underground. None of, none of it is uh, above ground because the city does not own the electric utility. It's a separate co-op. And it gets to control of the network. And um, the city did not want anybody else telling us where and where, where we couldn't go within the city. What we learned out of that fiber drop was the first thing the incumbent did was went in and signed everybody up as quick as they could to a longer-term contract. Hopefully at a lower price, at least. If you're, if you're going to lose customers, potentially, at least you hope the businesses are doing better with a lower price than they would have paid otherwise. Well, I hope so. I, I think it, it actually happened. And But if you recall, about that time frame, 2010 and that, that's when DSL was really kind of coming to the forefront in the rural areas. We recognized in the business model that we had to provide a competitive price to DSL, even though there's no comparison to DSL and fiber connectivity. But when you look at the demographics of our local businessmen, a lot of them are small mom and pops, and you have to make the connection affordable to them. Uh, Where we're at today is we've deemed phase one successful. And we're having a lot of uh, community businessmen still approaching the city, wanting on the fiber that weren't in that phase one serving area. So we are in the process of going, now this is on the city on our on our own, to go after a $2 million project, which would be a million dollar grant with a million dollar loan. City council set this up as a, a fiber utility and we're treating it just like the the water or refuse, and we, we've created an enterprise. That's important in Colorado because now all the revenues come into it, stay in there. They don't go out into the general fund. And has the, the city of Cortez put in any resources, uh, or has it been mostly or entirely grant-funded? We have uh, put in match over time, and we have put in capital uh, prior to being enterprise, we put in some capital money to build out some small uh, extensions to different areas. So it's been kind of a mix and match. And do you have a sense of uh, do your do your community anchor institutions pay less and have better service than those in some of the surrounding counties that that haven't been touched by the fiber? I have a good example. We have um, an adult learning center in Cortez. We made it a point to serve them in phase one of our fiber to the business. And prior to that, um, this is probably a common story around the United States, they were paying for six P1s bonded together, trying to do video 
training video classrooms. As a matter of fact, they teach adult education to some of the uh, Alaskan uh, villages up there. And they had connectivity to the College of Eastern Utah and some of the others. They were able to get on our fiber and increase their bandwidth by five and a half times for the same dollars that they were paying before. That must have made a big difference for them. Right. They, they, their uh, video conferencing equipment was constantly going down prior to, and now, now they're, they're wide open and running. And, and Chris, I, I do want to say one thing. It's our network is all open access. Um, we chose not to provide service to the citizens uh, based on Dr. Cohill's saying we wanted to work with the local providers. And I'm kind of happy to say we have seven private service providers on our network today uh, providing service over our, our fiber network. So does the local telephone company use the network as well? No, they do not. Um, they have been invited throughout this whole process and, and here today have chosen not to participate. Just northwest of Cortez is, is real rural. is an independent phone company uh, called Farmers Telephone, and they, they have the ability to come into Cortez, and they are providing services on our network. So we do have telephone. We have data. We do not have video at this point. There again, you can't make a business case for 8,000 people. So, Right. I think well, a lot of times um, you certainly need at least 1,000 subscribers uh, on the network, I think, before anyone would even entertain a, a video package, in, in my understanding. Yeah. And now I looked into the cost of building a video head in, and, and uh, even buying used equipment was, was not cost-effective. And then you get into the whole programming side of things so it just didn't pencil out for us so what is your ultimate vision is it to to serve the entire community with an open access network to to serve uh, the whole five county region or um you know is there someplace in between my vision in the city of cortez vision is to eventually have fiber to the home in all areas of the town we've already completed phase one we get phase two done that will complete the other 400 and some businesses, so that will take care of all the business districts. And we're hoping at that point we'll start generating enough revenue that we can be doing phase three, phase four, phase five, et cetera, and just eventually grow this thing out. Regionally, the network, um, since Cortez was pre-Senate Bill 152, the other communities are right now focusing on getting the community anchor institutions taken care of and um, it's kind of a unique design there too is uh, Cortez and Durango are the two largest communities in the region and our network design for that is uh, we put a main what we call aggregation hub in Durango and a main aggregation hub in Cortez so Durango hub serves the eastern portion of that five county region and Cortez hub serves the western point and there again we've collaborated with the private service providers to carry traffic from the other towns into the hub and then from the hubs we have connected the two hubs and we have redundancy built in so that if Durango goes down there traffic comes over to Cortez and goes upstream so we're trying to build in some redundancy in that. 
that's a really interesting network that you've got going on, or actually two networks that you've got going on. And we'll look forward to checking in on the future. Thank you for, for joining us on the show, Rick. You're very welcome, Chris. Thank you for the opportunity. As Cortez and Region 9 move forward, we will be sure to check in with Rick to keep you up to date. Until then, you can learn more by following the Cortez tag at uninetworks.org. We want your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at communitynets. The show was released on May 13, 2014. We want to thank Valley Lodge for their song Sweet Elizabeth, licensed using Creative Commons. And thank you for listening. <laughs>